All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here with us at our main campus. Uh, welcome to everybody that's watching online. So first of all, a great uh, thank you to the children's ministry and everybody that put that together. It's always great uh, to be able to see, if you don't know, uh, about the great things that are happening in children's and youth. And so when they can come up front and be a part of uh, our Sunday service. It's a great reminder of not only uh, what's happening and what's going on, but a great reminder of what we as a church uh, have as an important investment to be praying for and understanding that the future generations are here with an opportunity to influence them in a way that they could be the future people who change the world. So we love that we have that opportunity. Also, as you can tell from the video, Easter Sunday is coming. So a lot of things happen uh, when it comes to Easter Sunday, right? So you're thinking about, I know this is happening at my own house. So the kids are coming over. So every time the kids come over, you know, because they're all out now, except for a few, but when they're coming over, everything that around the house that might be needed done or spruced up a little is now time to get it done, right? Is new mulch and clean up the leaves and everything that happened over winter. You're like, you got to get ready for the kids to come over. And I'm like, how about the kids come over and get ready for themselves coming over? Sounds like a great idea to me, but that doesn't seem to ever happen. But I say that to say you get real focused, right, on this idea of family and church. And uh, most of the time, you know, people, if you haven't dressed up all year, you might dress up a little bit, you know, for Easter Sunday because it's the day that you take the picture, right? You try to get everybody together and you take the picture that then you can, you know, have for, for Easter Sunday and then people are coming over for lunch. A lot of things happening, right? And we're talking about the greatest message and we're coming to church to, to celebrate the greatest message possible, right? The reason that Christianity is different than all other religion and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's what we hang our hope in and our faith in. And the crazy thing is, is I don't think that that's that far off on that video. I don't think that's that far off. Where people would say, so you didn't think I would want to hear that? Like, so you didn't think that I wanted to have that type of message? And sometimes we get so wrapped up in the preparations for Easter that we forget about Easter. Right? We forget about the reason that we're celebrating and the reason that it all makes sense to begin with. So... This week, uh, if you're not a Christian and you're coming just to kind of investigate and try to figure out what's going on, or you haven't been in church for a while, you might not recognize this terminology, but it's something I want to explain to you. So in Christianity, this is called Holy Week, right? So if you've ever heard that before, this is Holy Week. And Holy Week is the week that leads up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's a whole week's worth of uh, things that happened that led to the resurrection. Now, <clears throat> I think a lot of times we forget the idea that to truly understand the greatness of the resurrection, you need to understand what happened in the week before, right? To truly get the concept emotionally of what was happening and what people were going through and why Easter Sunday is such a great celebration, you really need to know what was going on in the life of the disciples, what was going on in the life of the followers, what was going through the mind of Jesus as he's thinking through the whole process of what he's getting ready to do. So Holy Week is this week, and so I want to talk to you about or kind of lead you through this process of what was it like 
for the people at the time? What was it like for Jesus at the time? And how do we get ready for uh, the celebration of Easter Sunday? So today is describing the triumphal entry. Right? So if you've been in church for a while, you've heard that, or you might have seen, you know, in a traditional church, this whole Palm Sunday, you know, where the kids come in and wave the palms and everybody walks through. It's kind of a church tradition, and the tradition is around the idea of the triumphal entry of Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about that today. And then Good Friday's coming up, and I'm telling you, if you've never been to a Good Friday service at Life Church, you need to come to a Good Friday service at Life Church. Because to truly understand the resurrection that's then coming on Sunday, you need to experience the mourning that needs to happen on Friday, right? To truly get the resurrection, you also need to get the sense of hopelessness that was happening in the lives of most of the people at the time trying to figure out what just happened. And so mourning the death of Christ. So it'll be a great service to come to. Make sure, you, if you can, clear your calendars to be there because it'll make the celebration of the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday that much more beautiful. So let's talk about this triumphal entry and what was going on in the life of Jesus. So in the triumphal entry, so the Jews got together to celebrate things, right? And so one of the biggest celebrations they have was the celebration of the Passover, Right? And the Passover, and this is why this is important to understand, because the story will then make sense about the triumphal entry once you understand Passover. So if you go clear back to when uh, the Jewish people were enslaved, right? if you remember clear back, Pharaoh enslaved all of the uh, Israelite people, and they were in bondage forever. Right? And so then uh, Moses shows up and says, I'm going to come on your behalf, Moses and Aaron, we're going to try to get the people released right, from bondage in Egypt. So they go to the Pharaoh at the time, and the Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to let them go. Why would I let them go? They're the ones who build everything. They're the ones who do all the work. They're the slave laborer around here. And so uh, Moses and Aaron go there and say, you know, you need to, God says, let my people go. Like, that's what you need to, to do. Pharaoh says no, and God comes back through Moses and Aaron and says, I'm going to send plagues then. Let's see if he gets the point. All right, so I'm going to send this plague, and I'm going to send this plague, and I'm going to send this plague. And then maybe at some point, you know, the Pharaoh's going to be like, plagues are a bad idea, right? So plagues aren't a good thing. The only way to get rid of plagues is get rid of the people, right? That was the whole idea. Get rid of the people, get them out of slavery, send the Jewish people on. Well, one of the last things that happened was the death angel was coming to kill the firstborn of everybody in that land. Okay, And so Moses said to them, the way that you can be saved right, is to take a sacrificial lamb. And this is really important. So if you haven't heard the story, listen up. They take a sacrificial lamb, you sacrifice it, and on your doorpost you put blood. right? And anybody inside of that room, when the death angel comes over, will pass over that house for one reason and one reason only. Not because of what they've done, not because they were good or bad, but because blood was shed on their behalf. The death angel will pass over these people and their children will not be killed. So if you wanted your child to be safe, you put them in there, you were in the room with them, you took blood, you put it on the doorpost, the death angel came and when the death angel saw the blood, not your works, he passed over you and you 
were spared. Well, this was a huge celebration, if you can imagine, right? Because you know what people woke up to the next day of people who didn't put blood on their doorposts? A lot of death and pain and tragedy. And so when you see death, pain, and tragedy, and you were spared, would you celebrate for nothing that you had done but what had been done for you? And so the celebration of the, the Israelite people was something they came together and they celebrated Passover every single year to say thank you that we didn't get what other people did and that you passed over us because of the blood of the Lamb. So in Jerusalem at this time, there were about two million people coming into the city to be able to celebrate Passover. So get this picture, right? And think in the mind, because this is really important, if you were an Israelite person and you knew that Passover signified not only salvation but release from bondage, because after the death angel came, guess what Pharaoh did? Come on, you've watched Veggie Tales, or isn't that on? I mean, that's surely on there somewhere, or you've read the story. He let them go, right? Like they, they, I mean, again, he tried to pursue them, but at the end of the day, they were released. So every time Passover came up, you know what the first thing that was thought of, of the, the Israelite people? We were saved by God and released from bondage. Now, the Jewish people at the time felt like they needed to be saved again and released from bondage. You know who their new person, the people that was keeping them in bondage? Rome. So no longer was it Egypt and the Pharaoh, but now it's Rome. The oppression of Rome and the Jewish people was a big deal at the time. They hated the Roman people, and guess what they were looking for? Someone who would release them from the oppression, somebody who would release them from the bondage. And so the Passover signified an opportunity for them to be reminded of their salvation from the death angel and their future Messiah to come, and most of all, we're going to find this out, is somebody to conquer Rome, right? We need somebody to be able to conquer Rome. Now, this was the mood, so put yourself in this position. If you were those people, this was the mood of your week. You're gathering together, and family's coming, and you're excited, and you have heard, you've heard, right, through the grapevine, because nobody had social media or cell phones, but everybody was talking. You know what they were saying? There's a new king coming. And guess what this new king's going to do? Release us from the bondage of the Roman people, right? This new king that's coming to Jerusalem, he's been around, right, for, for three years. We saw him heal. We've seen him do amazing things. We've heard that he's going to be the new savior. And when they were looking for a savior, they were looking for a savior that was going to release them from the bondage of the Roman people. And so they're all ready to go, right? And they're all waiting for this person to come and all waiting for the Messiah to show up. And so if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Matthew 21. So that's what we're going to be uh, talking about today. Matthew 21, it's going to be 1 through 11. And so in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, it's describing what we have traditionally called inside of the church the triumphal entry, and I think too many times we, look, we bypass this, you know, in the whole idea of this Holy Week. We kind of bypass it with, hey, there was a great celebration. It was Palm Sunday. Jesus, you know, came in, and it was really special, but I think you need to dissect it 
because it fits into the whole story of how everything was going. And so in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, what we're seeing is kind of the end of Jesus's ministry and the ushering end of the end of his life. And so we're going to look at it and try to understand it and figure out how this fits uh, into our own life and what we should be thinking about, because that's the other thing, right? Messages aren't any good if you're not going to then take it and say, I need to sit on this for a second, and what does it mean for me, right? Like, we've always said that. If you're going to read Scripture, just reading Scripture in a way to be like, wow, that's some good information, isn't transformational, right? When you read Scripture or you hear a message, this is what you always need to ask yourself. What's God trying to say to me today? What's he trying to say to me this week? Because, you know, the great thing about the Holy Spirit living inside of people is the message that you hear today, if you're open, is the one that you need to hear. Right? Like God speaking to you individually is what's cool about the Holy Spirit is, is this is a message for all people, but through the Holy Spirit, this is a message to you individually. And that message to you individually, he always would tell us this. So you hear the message, what does it mean to me, and what should I do with it now? Because the Holy Spirit's not wasting his time speaking to you so that we can do nothing with what he has to say. That one's like, yes, right? Like, it does no good. Like, again, coming to hear messages and walking out and be like, that's a good message, but I have no idea what it means for me or what I'm going to do with it doesn't help from a transformational standpoint. So when we read this today, what is he trying to say to you? And what do we need to focus on this week as we lead up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday? And what do I need to do? What needs to change, you know, inside of my life? So this is Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. So it says, as, he, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage uh, on the Mount of Olives. So right there in the beginning. So this is kind of the end of Jesus' pilgrimage. So before he enters Jerusalem, he takes a moment to stop to reflect. Okay, Because here's the one thing that Jesus knows that nobody else does. He knows what's coming. Right? And so you guys have all seen the end of the story. Anybody ever seen The Passion of Christ? Okay, so you know what's coming? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He knows that he is going to be beaten beyond human recognition. He knows that all of his friends that have loved him are going to disappear. He knows that his closest confidant is going to deny ever knowing him. He knows that he's going to be sitting inside of a courtroom with the ability, think about this, to call down a legion of angels that in a moment could wipe out everybody, but he has to stand there and get beat by humans. He knows that at any moment, the pain of, and suffering that he's having when he looks out, think of this, to his mother. Think about this. Think about mom watching and the pain of a mother watching her son being beat beyond human recognition. And in a moment, he could stop her pain and suffering. Can you imagine the emotional turmoil that Jesus is getting ready to experience as he knows when he goes into Jerusalem that he's going to start experiencing in his ministry? And so he stops for a moment to reflect. He stops for a moment to surround himself with a reminder of the people that were important in his life. So he has his disciples with him, but he also meets with Mary and Martha. 
So Mary and Martha come and they meet with him. And it's not only Mary and Martha. You remember Lazarus, the one that was raised from the dead? So it's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, his disciples. And they're, they're sitting around and to a certain extent reminiscing about ministry for the past three years. And all of the incredible things happen to the point where Mary gets up and anoints Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume. Do you remember that in the story? It doesn't say it in Matthew, but it says it in the other Gospels. And this is the time and another reminder where Judas is complaining because he's wasting money. We all know how Judas turns out. right? But Judas is complaining because he's wasting money, and Jesus is saying, don't think about that because she's preparing for my burial. And at that time, they had no idea, but he knew you know, what was happening. And so he's, he's preparing his heart, he's preparing his people, and he's getting ready for what's first going to seem like an incredible high to the people around. Jesus knew better to maybe one of the most incredible lows in the, in, in the lives of the people that were closest to him. And so he stops for a moment to be able to reflect. Then he goes on and says, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to a village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. And tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, or if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did what Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So, again, kingly entries, and I know this is hard for us to understand, but because we don't see kings and monarchs, and we, we, like, we don't have these great processions, but if a king was coming, you would expect him to be in a chariot. You would expect him to have some horses that are not donkeys, I don't know if anybody's ever owned a donkey. Those things are terrible. Like, I mean, they're sure-footed and they're great, but they are stubborn. And, you know, you can't hardly get them to move. You ever try to do anything? And, they're, yeah, they're stubborn, you know, animals. So people would expect a great procession, right? A king that would say, look at me, right? Look at everything that I've done. Look at who I am. And then Jesus says to his disciples, say, hey, we're going to, we're getting ready for the parade into Jerusalem. Can anybody find me a donkey? And I know for us, that's like, gosh, I mean, I would assume that the disciples would have been like, okay, anything other than a donkey? Is there a better horse? Is there something out there that we could ride? But he goes and he gets a donkey. And the donkey's to represent what Jesus was trying to help every one of them understand. Jesus, from the beginning, came as a servant, humble, Right? He didn't come to be elevated into a position of power. He came to be able to serve people. He came and humbled himself, again, knowing, think about this. This is Jesus Christ who was in heaven, right? Jesus was in heaven from the beginning. At the creation of the earth, he was there and helped speak it into existence, and now he has to become a man. Humble himself to be able to become a man and humble himself on maybe his greatest moment of triumph, right? Where he's going to go into the Jerusalem and he's going to ride in on a donkey, right? But it was a reminder to everybody at the time, you know, I am your Messiah, but I come from a place of humility, not from a place of position, 
right? And I think that's so important for us to understand as Christian people. We're to model Christ. We are not people who speak from position but from humility. We love from a place of humility, not position. Like, that's the important part of being a Christian is to model what Christ did. Like, come from those positions of being humble. Come from those positions of, you know, uh, serving people and, and understanding that we don't have to elevate ourselves in that. Then we get to the place where... Uh, when he starts to go into the city. He says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So here is what was happening. So at this time, they took their cloaks and they laid them on the ground. So think about all these people that are gathered. So these, these two million plus people that came for Passover, there are people outside of the city gate. They're ready to see Jesus come in. He comes riding up on a donkey, which I still, like scripture doesn't say this, but I would have been like, I still think they might've been like, oh, I mean, the chariot breakdown. He must've had to get a spare, you know, in that process. But still here he comes on a donkey and they throw their coats down. This is important. Why their coats? Because in tradition, the coats being thrown down in front of the new monarch or the new king would to say, we're here to serve you even if it means that you walk over the top of us, right? That's what the cloaks being laid down on top or on the ground. That So when that Jesus came in, they're saying, as your king, we will serve you to the end. Now, remember what they were thinking about, okay? Back to the mindset. What did they think that Jesus was coming into the city to do? Free him, right? Like, and here's people saying, we're on your team. We're your servants, whatever you need. When it comes time for rebellion, we're there, right? When it comes time to raise up in your army, you know, whatever you need, we're with you. And so they're putting their cloaks down. And then the next thing that they do, as you see, is the, the palm branches, right? The palm branches that then you saw the kids waving that were laid down were a different significance than the, the, the coats or the cloaks at the time. The palm branches were to say that this is something that we want you also to not only deliver us but save us, right? We're here to serve you and we want you to deliver us and the palm branches were to save us. In fact, that's why they started saying, Hosanna, Hosanna means save us, right? So when they're saying Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they're saying save us. In fact, they would have been saying save us now, right? And so think about the, the picture now. Here's Jesus walking into the city and hundreds of thousands of people have thronged and there's this little path and Jesus is on this little path and he's coming in and everybody's throwing their coats down and palm branches and everybody's cheering, right? Everybody's saying, Hosanna, you're the Messiah, the son of David. You want to deliver us, right? You are going to save us. This is the scene, okay? And then he gets into the city. Now, I think this is probably the most pivotal part, pivotal part of this message and this story because the people that are standing outside of the city gates welcoming Jesus in and cheering his name and laying down palm branches and putting down their coats saying, we're here to be your servants, get into the city 
and it changes in a moment. The people that were outside of the city hours ago saying, Jesus, you're the king, and Jesus, you're the Messiah, and we're here to go to battle with you, and we're here to do whatever you ask us to do, get inside of the city, and when they get inside of the city, he no longer is their king. Listen to what it says. This is verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked. So he's into the city now. And then they ask, who is this? So again, if you were just outside of the city, how would you say or who would you say this is? Like, this is the king. This is the new monarch. This is the guy. This is our savior. But now that he's inside of the city, listen to what he says. The crowds answer him, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. How did he go from a king to just a prophet? How did he go from this one that every, hundreds of thousands of people are getting ready to celebrate? Because you know what happens next, right? If you read on in the story, what happens next is all of a sudden people start turning on him. All of a sudden the people who were welcoming has, him as a king are now saying you have a criminal, Barabbas, and Jesus, the one that you just called a king, which one do you want released? These are the Jewish people celebrating Passover, talking about and excited about the Messiah that was coming that was going to deliver them. Those two people, and who got, who did they want to release? Jesus? No, Barabbas. How does that happen? How does it happen that the mind of a person can go to welcoming a king into the place where they're saying, go ahead and crucify him? How does that happen? Here's how it happens. And I say this as gentle as I can, but it's because those people are a lot like us, unfortunately. We'll welcome the king as long as he is our king who gives us what we want, right? I know you're not going to shake your head because you think I'm going to point at you, but... (laughs) I'm telling you, this is the selfishness at times of Christianity, right? Like, yeah, we want a king as long as the king gives me what I want, right? Like, I want a king as long as he heals my sickness. I want a king as long as he fixes my marriage. I want a king as long as he brings my kids back. I want a king who helps deliver me out of poverty. I want a king that, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, right? I want this king, and so I will worship him as long as there is hope that he will be that king. But when that goes away, I don't know if I really have any need for him. Right? I don't know if I have any need for a king who won't give me what I want. And selfishly, and I know none of us want to admit this, but at times, just like, because everybody that was standing in a crowd, think about this, everybody that was standing in the crowd throwing their coats down and palm branches down, all had a picture of what they wanted Jesus to be. Right? They all had a picture. My child was killed by the Roman government. I want revenge. Here comes the guy that's going to give it. My family business was taxed heavily by the Roman government. Here comes the guy that's going to fix it. My family was torn apart by the Roman government because of, here's the guy that's going to fix it. Right? They're putting their coach down, and then they get into that side of the city. And they figure something out. They figure something out that Jesus had been trying to tell them for three years, but they never got. 
Your greatest enemy is not the Roman government. Do you know what he's saying to everybody in this room? Your greatest enemy is not your health. Your greatest enemy is not your money. Your greatest enemy is not that person that you're ready to slap silly. Right? Like that's not your greatest, you know what your greatest enemy is? The thing that Jesus can fix, our sin problem. That's your greatest enemy. He would say to everybody in this room, be careful of how you look at me as a king because I am a king that came to save the Jews and I am a king that came to save you, but it doesn't mean that you're going to live in a world that then is perfect and that you get everything that you want. Right? I am a Jesus who has come to fix a problem that you can't fix on your own. You know what that problem is? Sin. That you alone can't be a good enough person to enter in the kingdom of heaven. You can't. Jesus came to be, think about this, and they missed it, the final Passover lamb. Now think of this significance, right? Here are these people in this Jewish community, 200, history would say 260,000 lambs were sacrificed during Passover. 260,000, and you know why they sacrificed them? Because for that lamb was to cover the sins of those people. One lamb covered the sins of 10 people. So they came to this place on Passover and said, this lamb pay for my sin. Jesus shows up and says, I can't overthrow the government. I have no plans of overthrowing the government. I can't fix all of your problems, but I can fix one. I can be the final Passover lamb for you. And that I'm going to go on a cross, and I'm going to die and take the punishment. Think about this. The punishment. So when you, when you think about this Holy Week, and you get a picture in your mind, and if you've never seen a picture in your mind of how badly Jesus Christ was beaten, if you haven't got a picture, get a picture. And I want you to look at him this week and say, I deserve that, not him. Because that's true. But he came to say, what I can do is take that for you because I love you. I will take the punishment for your sin and the deliverance that I can give you is the deliverance from sin so you can spend eternity in heaven. I can't deliver you from a broken world, unfortunately. All right, so the band's gonna come back up. I wanna give you a couple things to think about. So this week, as you're processing this whole idea of Holy Week, I don't know where you're at. I think different people are at different places in Either you're not sure about a relationship with Jesus Christ, like, like you're here today and you're, somebody invited you and you're still trying to think about, I don't know, I don't know if I understand or I don't know if I've ever came to the place where I get that whole idea of what Jesus was supposed to be. Think this week on this, is, is that don't be like, you know, don't find yourself in the position like, all the Jewish people where they selfishly wanted Jesus to fix their life, but not fix their heart, right? They came to the place where, 
where they wanted this, like, fix my life, stay away from my heart. If you're today trying to figure that out, can you give him a chance to say that he can be your king over your heart and that he can be the person that can fix the problem of sin? If you're at a place where you've given your life to Christ, but this week is a reminder that sometimes we get stuck in a selfish mindset. Like, like we're angry because, fill in the blank. Something's not going right in your life. Something's not turning out the way that you thought it would be. You're angry because you're thinking, if I'm a servant of the Lord, surely this should be fixed. Or maybe you've come to a place in your life where you're like, you know what, I, I gave my life to Christ, but it's not working out the way I thought it was going to work out. Can this be a week to say, listen, we can't fix the world. <laughs> wish we could. I wish to, you know, and, and I say this, I wish, I've seen lots of hurting people, lots of people who are sick, lots of people have dealt with pain. I wish that Jesus could fix it all. I do. I wish all of the suffering that happens in this world, when I see people going through pain, I wish it could all be fixed. And I wish it could be fixed in this moment because nobody wants to see suffering. Nobody wants to see pain. But here's what I rest in. The most important thing that we as Christian people have to think about is not whether or not suffering will be taken away on this earth because we already know it won't but we know that he's coming again someday. Now, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on, on Easter Sunday, but we're also celebrating this idea that, yes, he has saved us, and yes, he's coming back for us. But the greatest thing that we can celebrate is not just the idea that, that Jesus Christ died for us, that he saved us, and that my greatest hope is for all the people in this room, this is this is what I said. I said this at men's group the other night. My greatest desire is not that your life gets completely fixed. My greatest desire is that I see you again someday. That's my greatest desire. I'll sit with you in the pain, and I'll sit with you in the suffering, and I'll sit with you through those things, but you know, the thing that makes the most difference to me is that I get to spend eternity with you, that I get to spend the rest of my life, because this life pretty short, right? This life, fleeting, but this life in preparation to the way that we'll spend eternity. So what do we do with that? That's the big question. What do we do with that? What does God need to work out inside of you? What are those heart issues that we need to deal with? Where do you find yourself? Are you on the road laying down the cloak? And inside of the city ready to crucify him? Or are you the one standing there with him in the midst of the trial and the tragedy and the pain? In the midst of things not going the way that they're supposed to go? Are you going to stand with him and understand him as Savior? Or are we going to walk away? And we need to address that. To truly understand the depths of the resurrection, we need to understand the, the moments that were happening leading up to it. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So, Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, Lord, we uh, fully admit 
that at times we are like the Jewish people. We have an expectation that you as king of our life will do certain things. And at times, Lord, we find ourselves hurt and disappointed when they don't come true. But Lord, may we be a people who would recognize that what you came to truly defeat, and that was the enemy, sin. And so may we celebrate in this holy week a sacrifice that only you could do. A sacrifice that has completely transformed our lives. A sacrifice that on our behalf that you went through all of the trials and tribulations to be able to have us experience the great glory of salvation. May we remember that this week. If you're here today and you're still wondering, like, I don't know if, if this is real or if Jesus could be my Savior, I pray that this week the Holy Spirit will speak to you in a special way and remind you of how much that he loves you and how much that he wants to defeat the enemy that you've been fighting for years, the enemy of sin and the enemy of death so that we can all experience eternal life. And may we remember the greatest gift that we can give people in this Easter season is the gift of salvation and the remembrance of what you did for each one of us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
So this week, as we go out together uh, as a church and to those who are online with us, we go out this week, things that we need to ponder is where are we with all of these things? Where are we with the idea of Jesus as our king? Where are we with the idea of the celebration of what he's done for each one of us? And so this week, may we think on that and use this Holy Week as an opportunity to process where we are and not only where we are and what God's saying to us, what do we need to do? Who is that person this week that God's laying on your heart and your mind that you need to pray for? Who are those people that need to hear this message of salvation that's coming on Easter Sunday? So let's ponder those things together and pray that God does amazing things. And don't forget, Good Friday service, 7 o'clock. If you're watching online, it will also be available online. So we want you to, to be able to participate either online or here with us together at the church. You don't want to miss, and it's a great opportunity. And then obviously Easter Sunday that's coming. So thanks for being with us, and we'll see you guys again Friday and next week.